Okay, welcome to High Cheese. Today is Friday, December 23rd, 2022. And this is our Christmas edition, our first Christmas edition. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And I want to go right to the Ukrainian grifter, Vladimir Zelensky. He addressed Congress this week. And let me just go to a couple of clips that highlight his speech, and then we'll come back and discuss. And your support is crucial, not just to stand in such fight, but to get to the turning point to win on the battlefield. We have artillery. Yes. Thank you. We have it. Is it enough? Honestly, not really. It is just a matter of time when they will strike against your other allies. If we do not stop them now, we must do it. Ukraine never asked the American soldiers to fight on our land instead of us. I assure you that Ukrainian soldiers can perfectly operate American tanks and planes themselves. It's an investment in the global security and democracy that we handle in the most responsible way. Aye, aye, aye. What a grifter. Now, let me put this into context for everyone. We've given Ukraine over $100 billion in less than a year. And to put this in perspective, I think um, Tucker Carlson mentioned that um, $100 billion is what the government is proposing to deduct from Medicaid spending. And also, I, I mentioned also about reparations. The people in California wanted rep reparations for African-American descendants of slaves. And I think they came to a number of $223 billion. Well, guess what? Almost half of that $223 billion is going to Ukraine. Now, look, I, I may not agree with the reparations, but I still would rather see the money go to Americans rather than a country where we have no national interest. And before I forget, I, I was watching Newsmax, and, and this is what is dangerous about this whole mental mindset around Ukraine and Russia. One of the uh, shows, Salcedo, I forgot his first name now, he, he interviewed the CEO of Newsmax, uh, Chris Ruddy, and he had asked Ruddy, he goes, well, what, do you, what are the major justifications of us supporting Ukraine in this war? And he's like, well, 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 they're our allies. We have to protect our allies. Nothing deeper than that. It's such a vapid response to such a deep, deep policy that we're pursuing over there. And again, this guy, Duddy, is the guy that sets the table for everything that comes out of Newsmax. And to hear such a vapid response, oh, they're just an ally of ours. So every ally we're going to protect and fight, fight their wars for them, even though we have no significant national interest at the expense of Americans? I just think this whole mindset is dangerous, and I think it's going to change come January. And with that said, I was just reading a report on Zero Hedge that said that half of the Republican House members didn't even show up for Zelensky's address. Which is hopeful. But anyway, where, where was I with Zelensky? It's never enough. Remember, in, in, in the speech he says, yes, we have plenty of artillery. But it's, we need more. And then later on in the press conference with Joe Biden, 
when they were talking about us sending a battery of Patriot missiles. And quite frankly, I don't know what a battery of Patriot missiles is going to do. Maybe protect Kiev. But it's not going to do much. And it takes months and months of training on this thing. The war could be over by then. But a reporter asked Zelensky, well, what's going to happen if you shoot these missiles off and you run out of them? And he says, I'm going to ask for more. So it's never ending with this guy. We have put our foreign policy in the hands of some Ukrainian grifter that is in charge of a country that is corrupt. It's always been corrupt for as long as I can remember. It's the, the third most corrupt country on the face of the planet. And now take a look at what Zelensky did just this month. He banned a section of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church that has ties to the Russian Orthodox Church. That's not American. He banned political parties sometime earlier this year. He banned news agencies. And this guy's a bastion of freedom. And this, this is the guy that our current Congress is putting up on a pedestal. Just not, not good policy. The one insightful thing I think a lot of people missed, and I, which I think is a big, bold-faced lie, is Zelensky says, oh, we've got no intentions of having American boots on the ground, which I think is a lie. I think it's a flat-out lie. And the reason I think that this is a flat-out lie, I just want to go to some statistics. And look, I'm a finance guy. I've always believed in my career that the answers for most everything with government is found on the granular level where the tire meets the road. And I'm going to pull up some statistics from, it's a, a website called Statista. And I'm going to compare the armies of Russia with Ukraine. And they have total military personnel. And this is before, as of uh, 2022. So this is going into the February. Total military personnel. Ukraine has 500,000 total military personnel. Active soldiers, 200,000. Reserve forces, 250,000. And paramilitary units, 50,000. Now, we all know that Ursula von der Leyen let the cat out of the bag when she said 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers were killed. So according to this, Ukrainians active soldiers have been decimated by 50%. They've gone from 200,000 to 100,000. And this is according to the head of the EU, von der Leyen. Now they have reserve forces of 250,000. They have paramilitary units of 50,000. But that's a significant a significant loss of your active soldiers. Now, who knows how good their reserve forces are that are coming in. I remember earlier in the war, they showed people training with wooden rifles. But if this goes on for another year and there's another loss of 100,000 Ukrainian forces, it's going to leave them with nothing. And then what's going to happen? We can, they can have all the military uh, equipment in the world, but if they have no forces to use them or to fight, they're useless. And I think it's Zelensky's intention, if that happens, to try to draw American troops into the war, which I think this whole, whole Patriot missile thing is a, a first step. So this is getting extremely dangerous. This is opposed to uh, Russia. Russia's got a military that's about three times larger than Ukraine, which 
much more equipment. And you have to understand, I think it was less than 200,000 troops that they had surrounding. I think it was about 164,000, 170,000 troops that surrounded Ukraine before the war. And with 170,000 troops, they were able to annex 20% of the country. So you're telling me this is going good for Ukraine? And plus the Russians, they're brutal. The Russian army is brutal. Russians don't care. They will throw as many bodies out at this that they want. And they don't care if they get losses. So I think if this continues, I think the uh, Ukrainian generals will put an end to this war themselves. Because they, they cannot sustain this kind of attrition. And Russia wants a war of attrition. They'll win this. Now, what really bothered me is the this Ukrainian president that's dictating our foreign policies. Uh, if we don't stop Russia now, they're coming for everybody else. I don't think so. Remember, this is, let's take a step back, pre-February. Russia clearly stated what they wanted. They wanted several things. Most important one is they wanted freedom for the Donetsk region, Luhansk region, and they wanted Ukraine not to join NATO. Because look, I, I studied Russian histories and, and I know what's going on here. After the fall of the Soviet Union, there was an implied agreement that NATO would not go after those satellite countries that were formerly part of the Soviet Union. The United States said, yeah, yeah, yeah. The West said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they didn't do that. They kept on bringing these satellite countries into NATO, slowly getting closer and closer to the borders of Russia, and they didn't like it. We had the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 60s when Russia put missiles in Cuba, 90 miles from the U.S. And as much as the United States didn't like missiles in Cuba, well, guess what? Putin doesn't like NATO encroaching closer and closer to their territory. And this has always been a sticking point. And he always viewed Russia, uh, Ukraine as a buffer zone. So that's all he wanted. He wanted Ukraine not to join NATO. And he wanted autonomy for the Russian-speaking areas of Ukraine in the east. And uh, one of the things I also want to point out is that somebody must have trained him very well in this speech. Talk about The last thing he spoke about, oh, this is an investment in the world. This is an investment in globalization, in globalism. It's always been a key word. The Democrats picked this up maybe 10, 15 years ago. They started using the term investment for taxes, investment for spending. Well, where's the return on this? Is the return of us getting blown up, getting into a nuclear war? So we shall see. Now, you know who's really happy about the $100 billion that the United States has given Ukraine? It's the defense industry, our defense contractors. The one that Dwight D. Eisenhower warned us about. Quite possibly the greatest American general and former president. Remember, beware of the military-industrial complex. And these guys are giddy. They're making a ton of money. I think up until this, this budget, the, uh, there was $20 billion in military aid given. And it's a, it's a wonderful, nice little package. What happens is that, say, for example, the United States gives a Patriot battery to Ukraine. What they do in Washington, they turn around. And they go to the defense contractor and say, I have an order for another Patriot battery because I just gave our away. And these defense contractors, they're happy to oblige. And that's 
nice little package that's been generated. Okay, we're going to give military aid. We're going to give equipment to Ukraine. Okay, Mr. Defense Contractor, here's an order. I need to replace the equipment that I sent to Ukraine. And they're loving it. So again, I think I, I may have said that up until this uh, $1.7 trillion budget that was just passed, I think there was $20 billion in military aid that was given to Ukraine. And that's majority of that is probably equipment. And that's $20 billion that our defense contractors had just made because they're being play, paid to replace the equipment that we sent to Ukraine. So you know where they are. They're all for this war. All the consultants, all the investors in the de uh, Department of Defense contractors, they're all pushing for this war. They frequently have the uh, former NATO commander that's now a managing director in the Carlisle group out there talking all the time. Yeah, we got to support Ukraine. You got to support Ukraine. Well, they don't tell you or he doesn't tell you that the Carlisle group is a big investor in the defense contractors. So you don't think there's a conflict there? And here's what's really distasteful. And this is an article from uh, Breitbart. Let me just read it real quick. The headline says, U.S. defense contractors sponsor D.C. party for Ukrainian forces amid ongoing war. It says four major U.S. defense contractors sponsored a Washington, D.C. party for the 31st anniversary of the Ukrainian armed forces as they stand to gain billions from the ongoing war in Ukraine, according to a report. Vox, which is a website, reported Saturday that the celebration hosted by the Ukrainian embassy last week took place in downtown D.C. at the Ronald Reagan Building and International Trade Center located less than a half a mile from the White House. At that, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, was also in attendance. Now, he's probably looking for another job after he leaves the White House. The invitation said... The event was supported by Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, Pratt & Whitney, and Lockheed Martin. Their logos emblazoned on the invite, reportedly prompting some observers to laugh out loud. It's really bizarre to me that they would put that on an invitation, a think tank expert told Vox's Jonathan Geyer. An academic also told Geyer, the fact that they don't feel sheepish about it, now that's interesting. The explicit sponsorship indicates how intimate major military contractors have become with Ukraine and how much they stand to gain from the war, Geyer wrote, and adding, the invitation is a clear expression of how the war in Ukraine has been good for business. As Ukraine fights a defensive war against Russia, Ukrainians in Washington have been pushing for the U.S. to send Ukraine more weapons. So far, President Biden's administration has committed a substantial $20 billion in military assistance since February. And again, that's not including the $1.7 uh, This is just distasteful. They're celebrating Ukrainian soldiers that are getting pummeled by Russia, and they're making money off of them. Uh, you know, I hope you have something. I hope you find that distasteful. I really find it distasteful. They're honoring the sheep's going to slaughter. That's essentially what they're doing. Okay, I want to transition over to the $1.7 trillion budget that Congress passed yesterday. And I'm a finance guy. I'm a government finance guy. If I ever introduced a budget two days before Christmas without any vetting, 
I probably would have been fired. But not in Washington. They kept $1.7 trillion close to the vest and then just threw it out there for the Senate to accept and people to accept. Now, under normal circumstances, which hasn't been followed in a while, is that you have hearings on your budgets and you have various committees that are in charge of various appropriations. But that didn't happen here. They just sprung this on the last moment. And this has been spearheaded by Senator Shelby from Alabama. And Shelby's retiring. And he's looking to land somewhere after he retires. And dollars to donuts, after looking at all of the special items that are in this budget that are going to universities in Alabama, he's probably going to wind up getting a job in some university in Alabama. Dollars to donuts. Massive amounts of money going to these uh, universities for something that they can afford. You don't need federal government assistance for certain things. Setting up endowments, but that's only the smallest story. So it's indicative of the swamp. This is how they work. But with that said, I want to play a clip, and it has to do with uh, it's our friend Mitch McConnell. You're talking about the one number one enemy of MAGA? And America first? I'm not sure if it's the Democrats right now. I think it's Mitch McConnell. You look at everything Mitch McConnell has done over the past year to undermine the Republican Party and MAGA. Now, I think with the following comment that I'm going to play, he just lets himself out. You know, okay, the gig's up. I'm a globalist. I don't care about MAGA. I don't care about America first. I care about me, Mitch McConnell. So let me play this. And it it was... uh, right before Zelensky spoke before Congress. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians, that's the number one priority for the United States right now, according to most Republicans. That's sort of how we see the challenges confronting the country at the moment. Oh, he is so wrong. And I hearken you back to what I said earlier, that half of the Republican House members didn't show up for Zelensky. So maybe he was talking about just in the Senate. Who knows? But if he's saying that our Republican Senator, Ukraine is our number one priority, he's essentially saying, yeah, I'm a globalist. There's a bunch of globalists still in the Senate. And these are the guys that are screwing you. So the Senate passed the $1.7 billion, and everybody was up in arms about it because this is something that the next Congress should take up, not this lame duck session. Because you know all the, most of the spending that they're voting on is going to take place next year. And you would think that you should let the incoming Congress take care of that. But not Mitch McConnell, not the Democrats. They're going to stick it to MAGA. They're going to stick it to Donald Trump. And one of the things I just want to point out is that, I, I read this in C- Zero Hedge, the, the $1.7 trillion dollar budget includes 2.6 billion dollars for the Department of Justice to go after Donald Trump. Think about that. 2.6 billion dollars they appropriated to go after the former president of the United States. Think that's enough? Is this the Politburo? So Kevin McCarthy, the uh who I think probably will wind up becoming speaker of the house. He uh he sent a warning message to the uh, to the senators that voted for this. He goes, you're not going to get anything. 
from us in the House. Hopefully he'll stick to his guns on this. There were 18 Republican senators that voted for this, preventing a filibuster on this. Because if you get over 60 votes on something, it's filibuster proof. So we have Mitch McConnell, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, Lindsey Graham, Murkowski, Cornyn, Boozman, Moran, Wicker, Tom Cotton, I'm surprised, Roy Blunt, Jim Inhofe, Rob Portman, and Richard Shelby. The last four are all retiring. So guarantee, if you take a look at those special items that are going to their states, you're going to find out where these senators are going to land as after they retire. Now, I want to just give you a quick refresher on the federal budget. Um, this $1.7 trillion is only a small portion of the actual annual budget of the federal government. Um, in reality, the federal government is probably anywhere between 5 and $6 trillion annually because the budget is broken up into um, discretionary and non-discretionary items, mandatory items. Now, there are certain mandatory items that must be passed, which is like debt service and, and items like that. That's non-negotiable. You can't budget that. That has to be paid. Um, so, And that, that, that runs to the tune of about $4 trillion a year, 4 or $5 trillion a year. And these, this $1.7 trillion is just the discretionary spending. So federal spending is not $1.7 trillion. It's more like 5 or $6 trillion because of the mandated spending. You know, anybody that calls themselves a freedom-loving American has to be concerned about the Twitter files. Now, we all know that the executives put their finger on the scale of the election which is cheating, and that should be unacceptable, and there should be repercussions for that, and we'll find out when the Republicans take over Congress next year. Well, at least the House. But what I find even more dangerous is that our federal law enforcement and our intelligence agencies were actively involved with Twitter, making suggestions on who to ban, forcing them to come up with a certain policies regarding banning individuals and organizations from Twitter, grooming them for the upcoming Hunter Biden laptop release. This is the modern day Stasi, what we have with the FBI. Literally, you have FBI agents telling Twitter who to take down, who to suppress. One was right side broadcasting network that all they did was just uh, show Trump rallies. How dangerous could that be? And the other one's, but I jumped down. Billy Baldwin? He's an actor. He's Alex Baldwin's uh, younger brother. The FBI wanted him taken down. But this is dangerous. You've got the federal law enforcement, the intelligence agencies acting in unison with Twitter. They've had their own pipeline to Twitter executives. And in some cases, twisted the arms of Twitter executives to comply with the way they thought Twitter should be run. Now, the other thing that I find also scary is that the federal government intelligence agencies use Twitter to push out their own created misinformation. And for what do you think, whatever you think about Elon Musk, he did a good thing by buying this. He overpaid for it, but it's still a good thing that he did. He suffered personally for this. They've been going after Tesla, trying to drive the stock down. So he's paid a price for this. But anytime you have 
intelligence agencies, law enforcement, federal law enforcement, actively involved in suppressing free speech, that's a problem. And not only that, they took it to the next act. They put out misinformation on their own. And I guess we'll get more into that come January. And with that said, I just want to read an article from the New York Post. And it says here, the FBI blasts conspiracy theorists over Twitter files, claims to provide critical information to protect the company. The FBI said Wednesday that revelations agents pressured Twitter to muzzle its own users for so-called misinformation and foreign influence and falsely warned of a hack and leak operation involving first son Hunter Biden were just business as usual. This is where we are today, 2022 America. You've got the FBI saying that this is just business as usual. This is how far we've come. The Stasi would be proud. It says here, the correspondence between the FBI and Twitter show nothing more than examples of our traditional, longstanding, and ongoing federal government and private sector engagements, which involve numerous companies over multiple sectors and industry, the FBI told the Post in a statement in response to the latest jaw-dropping revelations from the Twitter files. As evidenced in the correspondence, the Bureau went on, the FBI provides critical information to private sectors in an effort to allow them to protect themselves and their customers. Oh, really? When the FBI went to Facebook, when the FBI strung on Twitter, saying, hey, you know, there's a lot of Russian misinformation out there, and it's probably going to be about Hunter Biden and a laptop. That's protecting Twitter? That's protecting Facebook? My friends at the FBI, if you're listening, this is all true, and you knew it. You had the laptop long before you went to Facebook, Twitter, probably Google, and groomed them. You groomed them to be on the lookout for the Hunter Biden laptop, and you knew that it was real, and you led them to believe that it was Russian misinformation. Shame on you. The article goes on to say, the men and women of the FBI work every day to protect the American public. Yeah, okay. It's unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. So are they still sticking to their guns that the laptop is Russian disinformation? I got a feeling that's what they're going to say. They're boxed in a corner here. That's all they can do. The only thing they can do is just continue to justify their illegal activities. So we've got these other cases and these other, this other testimony from Yoel Roth. He's a Twitter executive that was in charge of banning people, for lack of a better word. It says here, Yoel Roth, Twitter's now former head of trust and safety, has since given sworn testimony that the feds had primed him to view any reporting on the laptop as a Russian hack and leak operation meant to discredit 2020 Democrat nominee Joe Biden. In a separate deposition, FBI San Francisco Special Agent Elvis Chan, the Bureau's main liaison to Twitter, admitted its warnings were overblown. And again, I just want to finish this up, this article up, it said here, instead of chasing child sex predators or terrorists, Matt Taibbi uh, tweeted. He was one of the uh, 
reporters that released the Twitter files. So he says, instead of chasing child sex predators or terrorists, Taibbi tweeted on December 16th, the FBI has agents, lots of them, analyzing and mass flagging social media posts. Not as part of any criminal investigation, but as a permanent end in itself surveillance operation. People should not be okay with this. I'm not. You shouldn't be either. And the other thing I just found out is I think it was either Facebook or Google, one of them, has like 60 or 70 XCIA employees on their payrolls. What's that all about? So we shall see. Well, here's a shocker. The J6 committee sent a recommendation to the Department of Justice that they indict Donald Trump. And that's all I'm going to give to this fiasco because it's just a political hit job. That's all this was. But just one thing I wanted to point out, one thing they said, the the report further calls on congressional committees to consider creating a formal mechanism for evaluating whether to bar those individuals identified in this report under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment from holding future federal or state office. Now, does this mean they're trying to take things into their own hands? That they're trying to change the Constitution just to get at Donald Trump? Which is totally insane. But that's what these people are about. They've got such a hatred for Donald Trump, it has made them all insane, including the J6 committee. So that's all I'm going to say about it. It's not worth my time. It's not worth your time. So continuing with Donald Trump and the insanity surrounding the Democrats with regards to Donald Trump, his taxes were released this week. And let me just give you a quick synopsis of his taxes. It says here, Trump paid a combined $1.1 million in federal income taxes in 2018 and 2019, a stark contrast to the $750 he paid in 2017 and zero in 2020. His taxable income in 2018 near $23 million, which included $22 million in capital gains. The next year, he reported close to $3 million in taxable income with a capital gain of $9 million. However, in 2020, Trump reported losses of over $16 million, large enough to reduce his federal income tax bill to near zero. Okay, what's the big deal? He made money and he paid taxes. He had losses and he paid no taxes. So it's a big dud. It's a big dud. And the reason you know it's a big dud, no one's talking about it. You see nothing. Maybe they had one news cycle about it, but nothing much after that. But Trump would have been a great judo wrestler. He understands judo. He understands the art of blowback, the art of taking all the energy from your energy uh, from your enemy and just reflecting it right back into their face. And with that said, I'm going to play a clip from Donald Trump in response to the taxes. This precedent must now be applied to the corrupt Democrats themselves. The new Republican House should immediately obtain the financial records of Joe Biden and his entire criminal enterprise, because that's exactly what it is. Biden is a corrupt politician who spent years selling out America all over the world, including to communist China, just take a look at his accounts, take a look at all of his homes, and take a look at what his son, Hunter, has contributed to the family. The American public deserves to know the truth. We should also get to the bottom line on how Biden, on a salary of a U.S. senator, 
was able to buy one mansion after another, all these different locations. When I'm president, we will expose the Washington cartel, and we will make America great again. Okay, let's take a look at some uh, recent polls regarding Trump versus Biden and Trump uh, versus DeSantis. And look, I'm not knocking DeSantis on this. I think uh, uh, DeSantis is a, a great, great candidate. And if he happens to run against Trump in the uh, primary and he wins, he's got 100% of my support. But I just don't think it's time for him right now. I think it's Trump's time. He got cheated and he deserves another four years. So, you know, all this spinning that the media is telling about, ah, Trump's finished, Trump stinks, Trump is terrible, Trump's done, it flies in the face of polls that have come out recently from their polls. So let me just read uh, a couple of polls here. General election, Harvard poll, Trump plus five over Biden. General election, Trump versus Harris, Trump plus six over Harris. The 2024 Republican presidential nomination. It's a Harvard poll. Trump plus 23 over DeSantis. Let's take a look at a poll from Monday, December 19th. This is from Signal, a Republican pollster. 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Trump plus five. So this has really got to be killing the Democrats and the media. You look at what they've done to this man and you look at his resilience you wonder why Americans love the guy. It's pure American to be as resilient as Donald Trump. I'm not taking away from DeSantis. I love the guy. But barring any surprises, this is Trump's nomination. So we shall see. Okay, let me give you a quick update on Title 42. And uh, it was set to expire on December 21st. However... Supreme Court Judge uh, John Roberts has extended the stay. Now, this case has made it to the Supreme Court, and I guess they're going to decide whether they should take it and whether they will litigate it. So that's what we're looking for. I think uh, Roberts wants to expedite this as quickly as possible. So we'll see what happens. All right. Let's go to my loser of the week. And my loser of the week are two people. They work... uh, for the same company. And with that said, let's go to my loser of the week. And my loser of the week for the week ending Friday, December 23rd, 2022 is Roy Cox Jr. and Michael Aaron Jones. Now, you're probably not aware of their names, but you're aware of what they do and what their company does. You ever get those annoying robocalls about car warranties. You know, I would get like five or six a day at least. Well, Roy Cox Jr. and Michael Aaron Jones, they ran a company called Sumco Panama, and they sent out more than 5 billion illegal robocalls to more than a half a billion phone numbers during a three-month span in 2021 using pre-recorded voice calls to press consumers to speak to a warranty specialist about extending or reinstating their car's warranty. And believe it or not, they were fined $300 million by the FCC. The federal government finally did something decent. They fined both of them a total of $300 million, which is a record from the FCC. So Mr. Cox Jr. and Mr. Jones, 
God, you guys were so annoying. What your company did was so annoying. And I know there were there were bigger fish to fry, but you guys deserve this. You guys were just so annoying. And for that reason, I give both of you my loser of the week. You know, I was going to give you a update on the stock market, but I'm just going to skip it for this week. And the reason I'm going to skip it for this week is that there just doesn't seem any rhyme or reason for anything that it does. And the, and the reason I'm not talking about it is is Wednesday. Wednesday, there was a run-up in the stock market. I don't know how much. It was, a good, it was a positive day. And the reason it was a positive day is that Nike had a good earnings report. But according to one of the headlines I read, uh, read is that, well, it ran up. Be- stocks ran up because the Nike earnings gave us hope that other earnings are going to come in positive also. So now we're running our stock market based on hope, not on fundamentals, on hope. And again, these are our so-called experts. Now they're just hoping. And it harkens me back to the head of the CDC, Walensky, where she was speaking to Congress about the vaccines. And remember what she said? She goes, well, you know, I'm sorry, they weren't as effective as we thought or what the evidence said, but we were hoping that it was going to be effective. Again, it was hoping. Our experts hope. Instead of using science, instead of using data, they were hoping. And you know where the vaccines got us. And the same thing is happening in the stock market now. They're hoping. It's not about fundamentals. It's not about what the Fed is going to do. They're hoping. And this is right now, I'm recommending everybody stay away from the market at this point. At least between now and the end of the year or first month of the year. Now, I'm thinking about it, I'm giving my predictions uh, at my next uh, episode. You know, but I'm just disappointed. And the other thing that disappoints me, too, is that Nike is uh, well entrenched with China, who uses slave labor, and this is a driver of our market. I got a problem with that. So I'm not covering the market this week. Okay, I want to thank everyone for listening. And with that said, I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas. And just remember what Christmas is all about. Now, I'm going to leave you with Rand Paul's rendition of The Night Before Christmas. And it's funny. It's cute. You know, I certainly would have hoped that in the best case scenario, Rand Paul would have been able to talk a couple of other senators to come over to his side so they could filibuster this appropriation package. Because quite frankly, the fair thing to do, the honorable thing to do would have been to let the new incoming Congress take care of this. But they didn't want to do that. And Mitch McConnell didn't want to do that. He still want to have control over what it goes on next year. And I forgot who said this, but it gives Nancy Pelosi another year indirectly as Speaker of the House because this is her budget that the incoming Congress is going to have to deal with. So with that said, let's take a lighter look. Let's listen to Rand Paul. And again, have a good Christmas. It was the week before Christmas, and through the Senate and House... Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The earmarks were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. The senators were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of pork danced in their heads. No budget was found, just mischief and debt while the taxpayers hung their poor heads and wept. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, senators sprang from their oxygen. What was the matter? Away to the window they flew like a flash, tore open the shutters when they heard the word cash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow 
gave the luster of midday to objects below, when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a 4,000-page omni with endless debt year after year. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now McConnell, now Schumer, now Pelosi and Vixen, on Biden, on Stupid, on Dumber and Blitzen, to debt, to bankruptcy, to free money for all. Now dash away, dash away, more cash for all. And then, in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. As the economy threatened to run aground, down the chimney, St. Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of earmarks he had flung on his back, an appropriator's dream opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. This spending season, instead of naughty and nice, Santa brought everyone something, regardless of price. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head, he said not to worry, there's always the Fed. He spoke not a word and went straight to his work. Undeterred by the debt, he turned with a jerk. For naughty Pentagon that lost billions last year, a fat stocking with extra cash and cheer. And don't forget a delicious candy cane, sweet with $40 billion to tide over Ukraine. Because of the climate, it's not PC to leave coal. No one seems to care because we're trillions in the hole. Don't worry about leaving the budget a mess. Democrats have given you 87,000 agents of the IRS. So St. Nick laid his finger aside his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, his economist agog, numbing the pain with a cup of eggnog. Up and away through the, through the countries in tatters, free stuff for all, sky-high prices don't matter. His last words as the wind lifted his sleigh, if people lack money, just print, it's okay. But I heard him exclaim, ere he drove out of sight, happy bankruptcy to all, and to all a good night.